Well, hello there. This is Brian Melanson, the founder and president of M4 Innovation, and you've tuned in to this episode of the Altitude Sessions podcast. We're really glad you're here. We're recording this from our studio in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And, you know, for this episode, we got into the whistle pig a little bit, and that turned into truth serum. But, hey, we're able to talk a little bit about the difference between leadership and management and also want to talk quite a bit more about what's going on in the distribution and product innovation fronts. Let's get going. Oh, yeah, that's good. Nothing like celebrating an incredibly good couple of weeks with a little whistle pig going down the chute. Hi, I'm Brian Melanson at M4 Innovation, and I'm really glad that you're joining us here on the Altitude Sessions podcast. You know, I had a 93-year-old grandmother who told me that uh, one of the, the great secrets to life is anytime there's reasons to celebrate or be happy, it's, you know, you should celebrate that with a really stiff glass of whiskey or bourbon. You know, she lived to be 93. I take that as sage advice. So here we are enjoying what has been a really good couple of weeks. And by good, I mean, you know, we've had some unbelievable inquiries with regard to what we do here, uh, membership stuff that's starting to come together for the 2019 year. And for those of you who are committed to what we're doing this year, I mean, really, thank you. I mean, from from me and from the team that we have here and the team that we're continuing to grow here in Jacksonville, we really appreciate that. And, I mean, this is just shaping up to be an incredibly interesting and at the same point what I think to be an incredibly rewarding year for all of us. So let's just start there and just with a quick thank you. Now we've been clapped. Thanks to all of you who have been part of these discussions over the last couple of weeks, and we really appreciate it. Uh, those of you who haven't yet, still time. Let's have those conversations. We'd love to talk about how we can impact your team, your company, your career, and what role we can play in all of that. So um, we'll start with that. You know, as as an organization, we always get criticized because honestly, we don't do enough self promotion about who we are as a company and how we help top executives in the health economy, you know, and by that health economy, even being designed as the broad number of companies that impact healthcare in, in lots of unique and different ways, you know, any of those companies, whether you're a pharmaceutical organization, a health insurer, a hospital organization, physician group, whether you're a technologist, uh, whether you're an employer group, whether you are a, a brokerage that deals with employers or individual markets, you know, we, we work with folks across all aspects of the health economy to, you know, to actually help executives figure out how to navigate change. And while doing that navigating, build deep connections with people that may not necessarily come across in their day in and day out lives, we help you stop and think a little bit deeper about wider industry problems and then specifically about the tactical issues that you're facing and opportunities that you see in front of you and your business. We help connect organizations to markets and needs. And, you know, it's really kind of rewarding and fulfilling when you, you know, kind of roll back all the things that have happened over the five years that we've been doing this. And, and, and you know, we're just really just starting to hit our stride. So thank you to all that have been part of what we do. And like I said, we're celebrating with a little whistle pig tonight. And those of you who know me well and personally, you know that, God, whistle pig is that's a that's a pretty good thing, and that's uh, 
I certainly, I sure as hell love to celebrate. So we're doing it, man. So thanks for being with us and let's, let's get going a little bit. So, all right, guys, look, I'm going to talk a little bit tonight about kind of bread and butter things and things that a lot of you who have known us for a long time, you love for us to talk about and we love to talk about with you. We're going to get into some distribution discussions. We're going to get into some product discussions tonight. For those of you who have been on the, the you know, have listened to the episodes, the pop, the podcast episodes prior to this, you know that we've done some, uh, some discussions on career and career matters. And that's important. I mean, one of the things that, that's really important to us as a business is that we recognize you as an individual and that we work with you as an individual to help grow your career, to help grow your team, to help grow your business. And those three, three things, they all work in tandem with one another. So let, let's, let's uh, you know, we, we've done podcasts in the past where, you know, the career stuff kind of gets to go last. Let's let's turn that on its head. Let's start with that tonight. That way we can hold you in form and then we'll get into the the distribution discussions and some of our thoughts on kind of where things are going with regard to that in the health economy. And I know many of you are tuned in for this one for exactly that. So hang tight. Let's do the the career stuff first and then let's let's jump into that a little bit. So, you know, we, we came across an article from the Keller Influence Institute and you know, kind of stopped us in our tracks a little bit. Not not in the way that, uh, I don't know if many of you, it's kind of the topic around water coolers right now, have talked about the Fire Festival, the the documentaries that have either been on both Netflix and Hulu. I personally, because I have a little experience, humbly, way back when, when I uh, was skinnier and probably better looking, or both. <laughs> but back in those days, I, I actually had a little time in the, in the, the music industry and DJing and, and being part of some of the way back when then were much smaller festivals and not nearly as cool as they are now. But having been part of all of that, you know, I, I was really attracted to that whole narrative around the fire festival and kind of how all that came together and how a lot of that was over promised and under delivered. And, uh, you know, what, what was interesting in the, the Hulu documentary, which in my opinion started a little slow, but then it kind of sped up toward the end and got a little bit deeper. Uh, what I thought was, what I thought was really interesting about that was when they talked about the social media strategy for creating demand for what they were putting together, you know, the orange tile that you can see in both documentaries, they used a phrase that I, I thought was, it caught my attention and... It was basically it's called stop the internet. They wanted to come up with a way where millennials, particularly when they're they're streaming through their Instagram photos and other things, it's like one perfect like life picture after another, and you know you stream through it and they all kind of look alike for after a while. They use the orange tile as a way to go, oh shit, what is this? And it was kind of one of those stop the internet marketing tactics that worked probably too well for that particular festival. But I, I found that, that I just found that kind of kind of fascinating in how that was put together and uh, how, how it worked and everything else. So if you haven't seen those documentaries yet, you know, I'd, I'd certainly recommend that you do. But that gets into the topic here, the career topic. It actually folds into it pretty nicely. The Keller Influence Institute had an article that they put out that was uh, really the difference between managers and leaders. And you could make an argument in the Fire Festival discussion that Billy McFarland and Ja Rule and 
they, they were leaders. They were the type of people that not only, you know, worked with social media strategists and influencers to stop the internet to create this insatiable demand for a product that really didn't exist, but they were also, they were the type of people that could actually turn trade winds. They could make a westerly wind turn east. They were good at it. They were leaders. They had big visions. They wanted to change the world. They wanted to create an experience that had never been experienced before. And leaders have roles to do exactly that. Leaders actually create directional change. They create directional change in your business. They create them in, in my business. They create them throughout the health economy and in businesses beyond our, our, our economy, in our business, in our industry. What this article gets into from Keller is, you know, it talks about how management over time, being a manager, ugh, manager, ugh, a manager is a dirty word. It isn't a dirty word. Because managers are the people you need to get the leader to the end result. If the leader says that this is the direction we're going, you got to have managers that help define, maintain, and stabilize that course. Leaders catalyze an organization. Managers stabilize the organization. You know, I, there's a line in, in this article, we'll link it, that says a boat with no leader has no sails and fails to catch the wind. It might sit beautifully at the dock, but it won't move forward. But a boat without managers has no stabilizer and will capsize as soon as the wind blows. That is what happened at the fire Festival. That is what happened to Billy McFarlane. So, you know, we get into a little bit, you know, managers. What, you know, even managers at times have to be at least decent influencers. And in what ways? If you're a manager, if you're not, if you're not hired in your organization to be the person to change, to disrupt, to, to make the wind pattern go a different direction, to wake up every day thinking about how the organization that you're in can be different, better, more unique than it is today. If you're not that person and you're actually there to manage, that's not a bad thing. And that's what this whole thing gets into, this article. It's not a bad thing because you even managers, the, you have a huge role. And, and organizations can't live without one or the other. You know, managers maintain healthy systems and processes. They help keep talented team members over the long haul so that the ROI and the investment those folks has actually realized. They champion causes. And champion causes sometimes may be as, in the eyes of a leader, as dull as we got to manage our expenses. Holy shit, who wants to do that? Well, somebody has to do it. And there are people inside the organization, it might even be you, you're doing it. And you have great value because you're doing it. So I just wanted to bring that up. I mean, look, the healthcare industry in any industry needs managers and leaders. And if it's too unbalanced one way or the other, the ship doesn't sail. So no matter what you are, be proud of what you are. Embrace what you are and do the role that you're asked to do within your organization. So... We don't want in the healthcare industry, we don't want a fire festival. I mean, when you think about the risk and things that are 
involved with that? I mean, do we have a history of that kind of stuff where people in the past have developed products that have not delivered because they capitalized on a market opportunity and left people out in the rain. There have been people that have developed insurance organizations and others that they thought were going to change the world and they didn't because they didn't have enough balance one way or the other. So, you know, that's all my my point is that there's just, you got to balance between, between both. All right. Let's talk distribution. Let's do it. I'm going to take another swig of the whistle pig because God, you guys know, and those of you who know me well enough, I mean, this, I love this topic. So let's celebrate it together. Mm. Ah, yeah. All right. So how many of you remember, how many of you remember, whistle pig's kicking in, how many of you remember the movie Demolition Man? I do. Some of Sly Stone's best acting, I think. He was a real ass kicker in that movie. Brother was kind of an ass kicker too. But in that movie, do you remember that the <laughs> that the the retail organization that had taken over society was Taco Bell? I mean, I'm in for a good chalupa, but oh my god, <laughs> just imagining that that's the top end Lux restaurant in town. Uh, kind of sends a shiver down my spine, but no offense, Taco Bell folks. But in that movie, there was this one dominant major corporation that had kind of taken over everything. Taco Bell. Flash forward, here we are, 2019, and and um, we're all thinking, you know, kind of a year into it, we're all thinking, what in the hell is a company like Amazon going to do? What in the hell is a company like Google going to do in healthcare? And it has been to the point where it's almost gotten boring. It has been this topic of, of huge conversation in the industry. I, I, I probably have had no fewer than 200 conversations on the subject. Let's distill it down a little bit. You know, I mean, you think about a company, let's do it. Let's do 250. This is the 250th time. We'll talk about it. There are, you know, let's talk about Amazon. You know, Amazon, here we go, 251. What is it that they do so well that might scare you in your distribution model going forward? They're really good with data. They're really good with machine learning and advanced algorithmic or analytic capabilities. They're really good at building a distribution and supply chain that's pretty complex. They're really good at building a recommendation engine. They're really good at building this cloud capability that allows a lot of your healthcare organizations themselves to funnel data to it, where it can continue to learn on a, from a cloud basis and from an aggregated basis across the industry where literally, you know, I don't know, gazillion data points is gazillion a word. So they got all that going for them, right? Ooh, reason to worry. All right. Well, even Jeff Bezos, when he talked about what truly is Amazon's greatest advantage, which is Prime, you know, he said, you know, Prime 
is such a good value that you would be irresponsible. Let's stop there for a minute. You'll be irresponsible. You, I'm pointing at you. You will be irresponsible not to be a member. Say it again. Prime is such a good value that you would be irresponsible not to be a member. CEO of Amazon. All right, so let me put that on you. What has your organization created in the last year, two years, five years, ten years, where you'd say you'd point your finger just like he did to say you'd be irresponsible, you, customer, would be irresponsible not to be a member. Now, if you're on the insurance side, you're going to say it's it's our insurance, our risk instruments, because, you know, God, all these treatments are really expensive if you're not part of it, and you're right. But it's different the way Amazon's pointing their finger. They're saying that we have created something that has such outsized value for the money that you spend that you would be an absolute fucking moron if you weren't part of it. And 64% of the United States households agree. They agree with that statement. About 100 million people. That is not, not in your product model. That is not what they're saying about you. They're saying your stuff is too expensive for what it delivers. So it's not a comparable thing. And that's the thing, the contrast, if you will, that I'm trying to draw out there. So leading up to this podcast, my, my team and I, we did a lot of research. We went back and read and reread probably 500 pages of thinking from all the major consulting houses and folks that we've worked with and distribution strategy and other things. We read document after document after document on distribution. Here's, let me sum up all that work right now by going, bleh. And why would I go, bleh? In summing up that work, because most of that work comes back to the same two core tenets when they talk about distribution. And it's why I, as an individual, say, guys, wake up. Distribution has been this sleepy science that has been asleep for far too long in, in a lot of ways because you've wanted it to be asleep. Blech. Blech, blech, blech. Because, because of the sleepiness of this science... People just basically say in all the research, because nobody hangs anything out there, nobody hangs their toes over the ledge, they just basically say, look, we'd like to come in and consult with you to help you create a better omni-channel strategy. Or, or we'd like to help you use data to unlock new areas of customer value. Oh my God, hallelujah, thank God. I've been praying for you to show up here every day. Thank God that you came with that kind of insight. I mean, guys, come on. We need an omni-channel strategy. We need to use data to create advantages with our customers so we know what they want. Those are core things. Those are core things to your business. Nothing else. Those aren't advantages. And yet, you know, what I think was interesting is that we did a distribution meeting 
last year as part of our Formulate Top Executive Services, and, you know, we're in the room and there are a number of people in that room that don't want to share anything around distribution because they believe that for some reason that the strategy that they picked is the core be-all end-all for solving for distribution. It ain't. I'm telling you right now, it ain't. Because, you know, going back to the whole Taco Bell and Demolition Man is Amazon in our 2019 reality statement, they see things differently than you do. Distribution isn't just this thing that you use to pay somebody to bring a product or to bring a customer to buy your product to you. And that you kind of can command and control by your own will as a competitive advantage. They don't see it that way because that approach isn't customer centric. And I've been in so many organizations that have talked about customer experience and customer customer centricity, which is oh, centricity is such a big word. Customer centricity is so important to us. Well, if you build strategies where you don't share data in your distribution models, if you build strategies where you're kind of hedging and protecting against the, the advantages that you have today, that is not customer centricity. That is not improving the customer experience. Amazon has created Prime because Prime has such outsized value that it sucks people in through a low price, high perceived value model. And then when they get people stuck in that ecosystem because there's so much value that people feel like they're having delivered to them that they can't get out or they don't want to get out, then they start, that's where the fun begins. That's where they start to sell and extract margin. And, you know, Amazon's not the only one. I mean, gosh, guys, I mean, you know, look at, look at Schwab on the financial services side. What did they do? They lowered trading fees. They lowered trading fees compared to their competitors using advanced technologies and other things so that they could do it better. They lowered their trading fees, sucked the average investor in, and even the top-end investors say, hey, you can trade here for less. We're going to lower the transactional cost for the day-in and day-out things that you care the most about. And you know where they started to make money? They make money in investment management. They make money in servicing fees. They make money in investing on the float, which is interest rates have gone up. That's a good business. People are thinking differently today about distribution and customer acquisition than they ever have. Prime members, going back to them, they spend two times as much, almost two times as much, $1,300 a year versus $700 a year. They spend almost two times as much as non-prime customers. Think about that. Think about how they have pulled people into the Venus flytrap and then extracted value when they're there. What is your distribution strategy doing to either counteract that, partner with it, or defeat it? Those are good questions, right? So you go out there and you start looking at some organizations, not just not just healthcare related, but just look look at other organizations, even commercial insurance. Not too long ago, Ford Research and others, uh, Fjord Research and others came out and they said, hey, with Accenture, that there is a $100 billion market in commercial insurance where no one player has more than 4% market share. 
And because of that, it represents an attractive growth market for hungry insurtech organizations and incumbents willing to look at their distribution models and do things differently. We have member companies within our organization that are that are been capitalized at new levels because they are trying to simplify the distribution experience, how you access, purchase, enroll, and day in and day out engage with this industry. Across all the research that we looked at and all this stuff and even forming our own opinions, which we'll, we'll run down here in a bit, everything gets into you know, words like smart, fast, connected. Or customers, they place a premium on simplicity and access and personalization. And even if you add one more, they place a premium on transparency. Dot, da, dot, da, dot, da, da. It's not just in health. This is in commercial and it's in auto. And th this, is, this is where it is. And if you are a big dinosaur that isn't worried about making sure that your customers connect to you in a smart, fast, and connected way, maybe the meteor is on its way. Not meant to scare, but meant to wake you up. The status quo in this industry with the number of millennial slash digital natives that will be buying your stuff very, very soon, and many of them are already mid-career. They already are. To think that the model that was as disconnected and as complex as has been built over the last couple of decades is still going to work? You're crazy. No, it isn't. What, what folks even found in the commercial markets is that there are a Bunch. If you think about different small businesses, and of which there are, you know, the last numbers we had, there's over a million small businesses, about three lives apiece, that make up a $3 million micro-purchasing, or $3 million person micro-purchasing market. Average group size of about three. And the last number we had on that's in about 2017. But when you, when you think through all those customers in this micro-business market, whether it's commercial health or whatever, what a lot of people and study after study after study came back with is that there are so many small businesses, including my own, which fits into that category, are eager to purchase your stuff online. Want to every day of the week. But what we find in the way that you've set these processes up is that the processes are just as time-consuming, confusing, and frustrating as if I just went ahead and bought through an agent. Maybe that's on purpose. Maybe it is set up so much so that it still favors the agent in the way the distribution models and strategies are set up to where I, I just prefer to go that way because there's no difference. There's no difference to me as a business owner and the other business owners that fit in the micro category. No matter what, it just makes more sense to go that direction. Because if it's going to be the same equilibrium in how the process is set up, I might as well just do it that way. Guys, that's stupid. There's so much opportunity in just allowing the small business owner to transact business 
in a very smart, simple way. Let me make the right decision quickly and efficiently. Make that recommendation engine or describe with Amazon and others. Make that recommendation engine so smart because of all this data work that your smart folks have done on the back end have put together. Make it so smart that it just seems so easy to me and so intuitive, like it just knows me that I just, it's like a warm, warm cocoon that's just wrapped itself around me and go, yeah, this feels right and I'm ready to do it. There's just aspects of the distribution model that can be simplified in such a great way that we just aren't doing today. So let's just think through some things and I'm gonna run through some things here in the next uh, few minutes. So look, products, Going forward, products, I think products are going to be based on things like genetics. Genetic code, product-based stuff, we're allowed via regulators and other things, I think is going to be very interesting just because it's going to allow us that the ultimate data set is our body. And to the extent that we're willing to share it and to market it and allow you to have access to it, you can then take that information when we say, yeah, it's cool, do it. You can take that information and build a whole world of very smart, personalized things around us. Because the body, our bodies, we are the ultimate computer. Here it is. Here's all my code. Tell me what you can do with it to make things interesting and unique for me and to make it feel really customized and warm and cozy like you know me and what you've built for me is microtransacted, but it is also very personalized. Now, there are companies out there like Guarantee Trails Life that has built uh, Precision Care that's doing this now in the cancer space that you can look into a little bit more. But that's, you know, we're starting we're starting down that path a little bit. Interesting times. And, you know, I think we're just in the very beginnings of this as we look out over the next five to ten years. Things like genetic codes, it's going to be kind of a war. Regulators, what are we going to allow? And insurance organizations, what information are you going to use? And consumers, what information are you going to want to be used? And then to what benefit, what products will be developed and built around me. Now, there's this discussion around things like building a, a core Medicare product that can be accessed by everybody, you know, kind of a buy-in Medicare product. Whether it's that or other language, there's probably a world coming soon because it exists in lots of other places. There's probably a world coming soon where we're going to have a core product, and the core is core, and it's very transactional. And if you're in the distribution channel and you think that your entire world is to sell transactional insurance products, in 10 years, you're probably wrong. Given all the things that are going on in natural language processing and the fact that there are Alexas and Echoes and all sorts of other things that are sitting, you know, Siri sitting on our phone, given there's all these virtual assistants that exist today, that the, the non-complex, the very simple transactional stuff is probably going to move into a world where because of the sophisticated analytics and the data and the recommendations and engines and other things and the ability to recognize natural voice, those those things, those bots, those AI chat engines, they're they're going to be able to handle some of that. To where you can just go, hey, serious time to buy insurance. You know me. Uh, you know my biometrics. You know my, you know, you know because it's connected to my health records. You know kind of where I am. What do you recommend? In your product and distribution strategies, looking a decade out, they're going to have to consider that kind of stuff. It's not just going to be the old agent submit a census with ages and dates and we're going to figure it out from here. It, it won't be that. I've been saying for 
five, six, seven years that even you know, the back in the old days when private exchanges were big before they kind of morphed into being the front end of benefit administration tools, you know, I talked a lot about, you know, those those capabilities at some point for them to be successful, they had to be so smart that, you know, there's this whole thing around, let's ask all these questions and tailor and personalize products. My view was completely different than that. It was ask zero questions. Know who the person is when they show up and recommend something immediately. And that's that's where the whole Amazon debate and other things come in. When you go onto that site, they already know who you are. And they're always collecting information on you. And they, they're, they're getting better in their recommendation engines and other things that tailor everything to you. They already know all that. You know, a lot of the, the early private exchange stuff with all the questions and stuff, they were dumb. They were dumb interfaces that had no idea who you were and they made a best guess effort at trying to say yeah this is the complex you know fifteen thousand twenty thousand dollar product that we want you to buy this is the product that we want you to buy based on 10 20 30 questions that's not the solution and where things are going going forward it certainly isn't the solution smart data and other things have to come into the into, into the fray this whole thing on the data front, keeping data bottled up is a competitive advantage with regard to transactional products. Small group, individual, whatever it may be. It, it, I just don't think, in my personal opinion, that that's a strategy. I would rather release all that data, allow people to have it, compare and contrast all the things that are right and wrong with my product, get that feedback from the market, and build better products that support my consumers. I'd rather do that all day long than try to bottle up information and create a product that may force a consumer into it, but the fact that they're miserable just because they're trapped in what you've built, because that is not a long-term strategy. That is actually a strategy that you can keep doing that 5, 10, what, pick a number, 5, 10, 15 years from now, you end up in single payer. That's not the way to go. Free that information. Let them, if you want a real market-based solution, let people go out and compare and contrast what you have versus others. Give them feedback on what they, let them give you feedback on what they bought, what they're buying or not buying, and then build a better product model inside your organization to build things that actually matter to the consumers you're trying to attract and keep. Now, a lot of people in this industry, they, they've tried to build in their distribution models direct strategies. We want to go direct. We want to go direct. It's really important. You know, we've got to balance out our, as part of that, that uh, you know, omni-channel strategy. We've got to be better in our direct strategy so we can balance out our distribution. Guys, if you want to go direct, your direct strategies have to be different. They have to be different. They can't be the same as everything else that's out there in the market. There's got to be something about it that is unique. It's got to be a more seamless enrollment experience. It's got to be a more seamless after enrollment experience where you know the customer better and you can make in, in, you know suggestions and extended product offerings. It's got to be something different. It can't be just like everything else that's out there in the market today. Because if it is, you aren't going to succeed in any direct strategy and in, in any momentum in any way, shape, or form. So I think you got to think through some of those things. And then even beyond that, it's time to start thinking about the expansion of value beyond just the way distribution is, is traditionally labeled today. It's not just going to buy a product, enroll, and once you're enrolled, you know, get your, your ID card and it's like we're done. No. 
going forward, you know, going back to Amazon and others, they're going to expand the definition of distribution. It, it's just going to begin. You know, the easy part's getting people to buy some digital solution and roll in it and say you're active. That is, in, in their mind, that's going to be the easiest part of this journey. The more complex consumer-centric journey is then going to be tailoring all the experiences that a consumer has with that product that they purchased after they're enrolled. Distribution going forward isn't this narrow definition. It is a much more expanded definition that looks at the entire value chain in the health economy and says, how do we bring and wrap that around the consumer in a solution in such a way that they, they, now that they're trapped in our little web, want to buy extra services and things that, that benefit our business from a consumer level, not a B2B level. So I think those are, those are things that, you know, we can talk through a little bit more. You know, the last thing I'm going to leave you with is that, you know, the digital native discussion, millennials in the workplace and other things, if you aren't building in your distribution strategies a digital enablement strategy, if you aren't building a digital product strategy, it is only a matter of time before you get left behind. This world we are living in now is this omnipotent world where people expect everything to come to them, not them come to you. So how are you developing your product and distribution model strategies, either they're with agents, whether they're with virtual assistants, voice assistants, whether they're with your own internal teams? How are you developing things? How are you putting together the back-end data models and other things so that so that you are in a position to where you can actually bring the entire health economy to the footsteps of a consumer? That's what the big retail organizations, no matter who they are, that's what they're thinking about. How are you thinking about that in your strategies is what's really important. How do you make that transition into a world where you're thinking about those type of things? That's all really, really key. So what is the digital enablement of insurance and health delivery and how are you being part of that? What discussions are you leading to get your company there? All right, guys, so that's probably a good start on distribution. We... We uh, can talk distribution for several podcasts, and we will over the course of the year. So this is a good start. It's, it's a good way to engage dialogue and discussion. We'll keep going on this, but uh, we're going to wrap it up here. Again, key things with, with regard to the logistics around M4Innovation.com. The free pre- preview period is over on February the 16th. If you are an existing um, high-level member, you know your membership at that level may end here in a couple of days and just keep that top of mind. The way to get elevated back on the site with access and the ability to leverage content and podcast notes and other things is to, you know, to look at the membership and to re-up or to look at a different membership tier. So keep that all in mind. We appreciate all the support and we look forward to our continuing discussions here on the altitude sessions podcast going forward. A lot more to talk about than here in the, forthcoming episodes and thanks for for being with us it's been great we're seeing growth and uh the listens on this thing so it's it's really cool to see that and to see the industry starting to embrace it so continue to share it with your friends continue to support we appreciate all that and we look forward to engaging with you either digitally or in person through our formulate level offerings throughout the year thanks very much and we'll talk